0: The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. This morning you can take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 2. This is the second message in this series from the book of Exodus entitled God is a Redeeming God. As you're turning there, uh, Pastor Brittany has some CDs available at guest services. I believe they're $10 a piece. If you'd like to pick one of those up, I would encourage you to do that. Also remember, next Saturday night is our prayer walk and talk. We'll be going to the Frenchtown neighborhood, walking the streets of that neighborhood, talking to the residents, praying for them, and asking God to do something great in that place. As I shared with you last week, Mergillam has asked the churches to join with him to join with our public servants, to curb the violence that's in certain neighborhoods in our city. That's one of the neighborhoods. So I believe if you and I as the church refuse to go into the world, then we're simply allowing evil to rule and reign. But if we choose to step up and step out, God will use that. His light will shine and lives will be changed. So if you'd like to be a part of that, sign up at guest services, 6 o'clock on Saturday night. We meet here, and I'll have you back here at the church by 10 p.m. this next Saturday night. Also remember that the last weekend of the month, this entire month we're fasting and praying. We're believing God for great things. And the last weekend of the month, we will be doing a weekend of spiritual emphasis. Friday night, Worship United will be here with us. It will be a time of great worship and presence as God comes in and comes down. Saturday evening at 7, Reverend Rick Howe, one of my personal friends, a great prophetic ministry, will be here preaching the Word and again Sunday morning at 10.30. So plan to be a part of those services, come praying, come expecting, and believing God to do great things. From the book of Exodus, we learn many things about how God interacts with His people. Matter of fact, when we really begin studying this book, we see a lot of similarities between ancient Israel and modern day America. We know that uh, the founders of the Massachusetts Bay Colony considered themselves to be a modern day Israel when they took up reign there in uh, Massachusetts. Their exodus from Israel was much like the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. They considered the New World or America their promised land. When you look at it, you realize that even Thanksgiving, our holiday, is modeled after the Feast of the Tabernacles. When you dive a little deeper, you'll see that they named their cities and their towns after cities and towns in Israel. Israel such as Jericho and Jordan and Salem and Canaan and Goshen. They named the mountains they found and discovered in the New Land after mountains in Israel as well. They named them Mount Gilead, Mount Hermon, Mount Ephraim, Mount Moriah, Mount Carmen, Mount Zion. You can see that they named their children Hebrew names. It was Jacob and Isaac and Joshua and Elizabeth and Rachel and Esther. They even taught Hebrew in their schools. If you look a little deeper, you'll find that on the seal for Yale University are two words from the seal of the breastplate of the high peace, the Ammon and the Thurum. You'll also see that uh, in uh, Dartmouth University, these words are found in their seal, Adonai or Almighty God. Again and again and again, you see the parallels between ancient Israel and the foundations of our country. Gabriel Stephen, who in the book, Bible and Civilization, writes these words, No Christian community in history identified more with the people of the book than did the early settlers of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, who believed their own lives were to be a little reenactment of the biblical drama of the Hebrew nation. I tell you these things to help set the stage and help you understand that the study we're in from the book of Exodus isn't simply something we need to do on Sunday morning, but it has great ramifications for you and I as believers and as America, as a nation. We need to understand our roots are tied in the Word of God. Can somebody say amen? amen? So when we begin studying Exodus, we see things that are relevant and powerful for our lives today. Did you realize when you read the first few chapters of Exodus, no less than 10 times... God said to Moses, you say to Pharaoh, let my people go so they can worship me. No less than 10 times. Let my people go so they can worship me. There is a spiritual principle that we need to grasp in that statement. God was empathetic about it. He was forceful about it. Not once, not twice, not three times, but 10 times. He said, let my people go so they can worship me. We read Exodus and we think it doesn't apply to us because we're not slaves. Can I tell you there are many different forms of slavery other than being under a Hebrew or an Egyptian taskmaster. We are slaves to debt in this society. And God would like for us to say, get out of debt, let my people go so they can worship me. Somebody ought to be shouting amen. We need to understand that as long as we are slaves to the lender, we'll always be a servant to the lender. That's what the Scripture clearly teaches us. We are slaves to debt in this society. In this society and more particularly, let me boil it down a little closer, in the church, we are slaves to unforgiveness. I remember what they said to me. I remember how they treated me. I remember how offended I was. Can I tell you, the world is filled with individuals who once sat in church pews, but somebody offended them, and now they're harboring unforgiveness. Listen, this is a scriptural principle. It's right out of the teachings of Jesus Christ. When he told us in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, when he said, you should pray these words, forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. You see, we need to understand that principle. If we want to be in right standing with God, we've got to be in right standing with one another. The body of Christ, people who call themselves Christians, cannot be harboring things of ill will and unforgiveness and bitterness when God is clearly commanding us to do something completely different but to forgive. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Can I tell you, you don't deserve His forgiveness. If that wasn't a qualifier, that didn't stop Jesus from coming to the cross and dying for your sins. Well, how did Paul write it? He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. See, we need to understand we're not the ones who determine I can forgive them or I can't forgive them. You don't know what my daddy did to me. You don't know what my mama did to me. You don't know what my ex did to me. Get over yourself. Let the unforgiveness go so you can worship God. Hear that spiritual principle, because until you apply it, until you employ it, you will not be in the place where God can move through your life. You say, the heavens are brass. God doesn't hear my prayer. Search your heart. I know this is not popular this morning. I understand that. But you understand, those of you who have been here for any length of time at all, I didn't come to be popular. That's not a prerequisite. That's not what I'm looking for. If you don't like me, I'm sorry. I wish you did, but I'm not going to compromise the truth of God's word to make you feel better about me. Unforgiveness is a huge bondage in the church today. It keeps us from entering in and worshiping the Lord as he wants us to do. I am so ticked. Do you hear that song she sang? I hate that song. I told her I hate that song and she sang it anyway. I am so ticked. I'm never going back. Get over yourself. Come on. Are you coming to be pleased or are you coming to worship the King? That's the only question. There's only one reason to come, and that's to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not about what I like or what I don't like. It's about what pleases the heart of the Father. Does it strike a chord with Him? Does it cause Him to engage with me? Unforgiveness keeps us from entering in and worshiping God. It's a huge thing. Some of you in this room this morning, before you leave this place, need to resolve that issue of unforgiveness. You need to come and say, God, forgive me for harboring unforgiveness and bitterness, and then go to that person. Say, God, forgive me. Well, what if they won't? Not your problem, it's theirs. Your responsibility is to attempt it. Your responsibility is to offer that opportunity for reconciliation and forgiveness to flow in your heart and in your life. Debt enslaves us unbelief and unforgiveness enslaves us. Worry and fear enslaves us. There's a lot of people real concerned about what's going to happen this fall in the American economy so much so it paralyzes them. And listen, I've read the books too, I've done the studies too, and I know that things could be disrupted again. But I've got news for you. My feet are planted on the solid rock. My God has already promised I will provide. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I remember what David of old said when there was a famine in the land. He said, I have already read the book. And God said, it's not a matter of lack. It's a matter of plenty. And my soul will trust in Him. Now, if your trust is in the things that you possess and the things that you have, then, yeah, you will be disappointed when things go south economically. But if your trust is in the Lord, you will never be disappointed. He will always provide. He will always see you through. Does that mean we don't use wisdom? No, absolutely not. We are wise. That's why I told you the first thing. Get out of debt. It enslaves you. Worry and fear enslaves you. Ask yourself this morning, is there anything that's holding me captive? Anything that has me bound? Anything that's keeping me from worshiping the living God. Ten times, God said to Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go so they can worship me. That's the scriptural application before we even get into the message this morning. So now Exodus chapter 2. If you'll put it on the screen for me. Verses 23, 24. The Bible says these words. Many years later, the king of Egypt died. I'm reading from the message. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Their cries for relief, their cries for relief from their hard labor ascended to God. The next verse says, and God listened to their groanings. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And verse 25 says, and God saw what was going on with Israel and God understood. Father, in the next few minutes, allow these words to be powerful and revelant. To every person in this room, I pray, Lord, that liberty and release begin to flow in this house, that we would know and understand you have a plan for us, and your plan is to set your people free. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about point one, and that is the fact that God listened. When the cries of the Israelites ascended unto God, the first thing that the Bible says is that God listened. I don't have time to re-preach that point. If you weren't here, buy the CD or the DVD or go to CHC today, and you can view them all there for absolutely free. By the way, thanks to Doug Apple, who just set up an iTunes account for us. Everything in terms of messages and sermons is available there, and it's absolutely free. You can download it to your iPad, your iPhone, your iPod, whatever other i-things you have, and take it with you everywhere you go. Absolutely no cost, they're free. So thanks to Doug Apple, Wave 94 for making that possible. Yeah, good stuff. Amen. So the second point I want you to remember this morning, number one, God, listen, number two, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God remembered. He remembered his covenant not only to Abraham, not only to Isaac, not only to Jacob, But he remembered his covenant to every person that was in in Egypt that day. Matter of fact, you can flip back to Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. And this is what the scripture says. God speaking to Abraham. I'll establish my covenant between me and your descendants. After you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. Now, how long is this covenant supposed to last? Everlasting, right? It's forever. It doesn't pass away. So even though Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years, the covenant of God was still true. The covenant of God was still effective. God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and read it, your descendants after you was still in effect when they were in Egyptian bondage. Go on, it goes on to say these words, and I will give to you and your descendants after, after you the land in which you are a stranger all the land of Canaan as an everlasting promise, and I will be their God. So notice the covenant is for all their descendants. And the last thing he says in that promise is, I will be their God. Whose God? Your descendants. It didn't pass away. The promise was still there. Even though they weren't living in the promise, the promise was still there. Some of you this morning need to hear that statement. You may not be living in the promise of God over your life, but it doesn't change the fact that the promise is still there. His promise to you is everlasting. It does not pass away. Matter of fact, this thing of Egyptian bondage, it didn't take God by surprise. He wasn't shocked that suddenly 400 years after their deliverance, after the salvation from famine by going to Egypt and Goshen, now they're slaves, it didn't shock him at all. Matter of fact, he prophesied it to Abraham, find it in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. You see, this is what you need to hear this morning. So many of us think God doesn't know where I'm at. He doesn't understand my situation. He doesn't know what I'm going through. Can I tell you? Before you were ever born, God knew where you were going to walk. He knew what you were going to encounter. He knew what you were going to face. And when you look at Exodus chapter 2, the first few verses, you will see that before they ever went to Egypt, God had an answer. God had deliverance, says these in verses 1 and 2. The woman became pregnant and had a son. She saw there was something special about him. That's talking about Moses. So before the Israelites began to cry out, God had an answer. God had a plan. In your situation today, before you've ever lifted your voice and said, God help me, God already has an answer. He already has a way of deliverance. He already has hope to give to you. Oh, you need to know it and understand it this morning. He listens to you and he remembers the promise of God over your life. He remembers. He remembers. He remembers. I love it. When I see that story, it tells me that before I even know I have a problem, God has a solution. Before I ever receive a diagnosis, God has the healing. Before my bank account ever runs dry, God has the money I need. Before my relationship is ever in trouble, God is the great counselor who speaks peace into that situation and gives me hope for today and tomorrow. Before I even know I have a problem, before the sky turns black, before the storm clouds roll in, God has a solution. You and I need to understand that. That needs to get into our spirit. We need to grab a hold of that. Paul said it this way in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. He said, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That's the King James. Newer versions translate the word without repentance, those two words, to irrevocable. I like irrevocable because irrevocable means it cannot be changed. Irrevocable means it's final. Irrevocable means you have no power to alter it in any way, shape, or form. What does that tell me? It tells me that when God spoke over your life and when God spoke into your life, when he laid his hand upon you, the promises he gave to you will never change. They're final, irrevocable, nor can anyone else alter them. That should be good news to you and me. Good news to you and me. Some of you in this room think God's forgotten you. He hasn't. God remembers His promise. He remembers His promise. When you look at that word, remembers, in the Hebrew, it brings a whole nother connotation. It doesn't mean that God forgot. God is in, It's impossible for God to forget. Understand that. God didn't forget Israel. He didn't forget His promise to them. Rather, what that means is God was waiting on them to call on Him to activate that promise in their life. That's what it means. You can read it, the Hebrew word actually is Zekar, that's translated remember. And it means to put into action something that's been said or done. Move to action in behalf of your people. It's It's a verb, an action word. So what that's saying to me is not that God forgot the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but rather when they begin to cry out to the Lord, when their cries ascended to God, God activated His promise over their life. You said to you, you're saying, well, God's never done anything for me, never answers my prayers. I'm done with God. Maybe it's time to come back and be in crying out to Him. Let Him activate that promise one more time. Maybe you should engage your faith and let God show you that He has not forgotten you, but He actually remembers the things that He's spoken over your life. And He wants to put them in, into action in your life today. God was simply saying by that statement, it's time for me to do something about the situation you're in. Do you realize that until you and I begin to call on God and ask God for help and ask God to intervene... He probably isn't going to do anything for us. It's up to you and I to call out to him and ask him to move in our lives. Ask him to do something for us. Ask him to intervene. Ask him to activate the promise you have spoken over me in my life today. Some of you in this room need to understand that and apply that in your life this morning. You need to activate the promise of God one more time. You say well that's all old testament I'm sure I believe not believe that I'm a new testament believer glad you said so James said it this one James 4:2 you have not because you ask not Jesus said it this one Luke chapter 11 he said ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you because the one who asks will find the one who seeks will receive the one who knocks will find the door is open. What's the principle? The principle is when we begin asking, it activates the promise of God over our life. It allows God to move in us and among us and do what His promised to do. Now listen to me. You got to ask the right power and the right person. You can't be asking your mom and your daddy, they can't help you. You can't be asking your boss, he can't help you. You can't be asking the counselor, they can't help you. You've got to ask God. Because God is the one who has spoken the promise over your life. And God is the one who will move in behalf of your asking. Stop asking in the wrong places. Stop looking in the wrong circles. Start seeking out those things that will not give you the answer that you need. And ask God. If I need $100,000... I'm not going to go down here on the corner of Monroe and Shera Road at the quick stop and there's some folks that stand out there under the shade tree that don't have a home or a place to live. I'm not going to walk up to one of them and say, man, can you loan me $100,000? That'd be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? That's absolutely foolish. If I need $100,000, I'm going to go find somebody that I know has a lot more than $100,000. I'm gonna find somebody that has a million dollars. And I'm gonna say, Mr. Jody, I need to borrow some money, man. Can you help me? Will you be my brother? Will you float me alone? I don't know when I can repay it. I don't have any money, that's why I need it today. But Mr. Jody, will you loan me $100,000? And he says, yes, hallelujah. You see, friend, we have to ask the right person. We have to ask the right power. We have to ask the right entity. So when we're asking, we have to ask the Father. And when we ask the Father, it activates His promise over our life. It causes Him to move in our behalf. It causes him to stand between us and the problem and say, you aren't going to touch my son without coming through me. Oh, come on, somebody. You need to hear it. The God I serve stands in your behalf. He places himself between you and the enemy. And he says, you're not going to touch him without coming through me. He is mine. i bought him. i paid for him. I've written my name on his heart and his life. There is no weapon formed against him that is ever going to prosper and every tongue that rises is gonna be pulled down in condemnation because he is mine. Yeah. Who are you asking? Who are you asking? You need to ask the right person. Quit looking to the left and to the right. Quit looking out here. Quit looking behind you. The answer is there. How did David say it? He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher. Higher. Then I, and I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from which cometh my help. My help is the maker of the heavens and the earth. Oh, come on, somebody. It's time to start asking, 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 ask the father to activate that promise in your life. Stop moaning. Stop groaning. Stop complaining. Stop criticizing and begin asking. How much more will the Father give? That's the last part of that passage from Luke 11. How much more will the Father give? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And when we ask, we receive. It activates the promise of the Father over our lives when we assume a position of dependency on Him. Listen, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my education. It's not about my talent. It's not about my ability. It's about the fact that without Him, I can do nothing. 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 I need the Oh, I need you. I wish I was one of those preachers that could sing and preach. I'd be singing right now. But we don't want to do that, do we? No, we don't want to do that. Pastor Brittany, where's your mic? I need thee. Oh, I need thee. You know what I'm saying? we got to come to the place where we understand it's not me, it's him in me. Without him, I can do nothing. He must increase, I must decrease. It's in that position of asking, that position of dependency, that we come to realize and know and understand how great our God really is how wonderful our God really is, all that our God really can do in us and through us when we begin to ask. Mark chapter 1, a man with leprosy came to Jesus, and he said these words, If you will, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. What did Jesus say to him in the next verse? He said, I will be clean and the leprosy was cleansed. Listen, when you come to him asking, Lord, I need your help. It's not a matter of will he do it. He's already declared his will over your life. He said, I will save you. I will forgive you. I will heal you. I will comfort you. I will keep you. I'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'll fight your battles for you because I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. I will be your strength in the midst of your weakness. I will be your direction in the middle of your chaos. Oh, somebody understand. It's time to ask. It's time to ask. It's time to ask. He began to ask. Mark chapter 2. There were four guys that had a friend that couldn't walk. He'd been lame all his life, paralyzed. They wanted to get him to Jesus. But you'll find that in that story, there were so many people already there asking that they couldn't get to him. So the Bible says the four of them didn't just say to him, sorry, buddy, it's not your day. Sorry, buddy, this is too tough. We can't get to the master. Now, the Bible says they got a ladder and they crawled up on the roof. And they tore the roof apart where, over where Jesus was teaching. And the Bible said they used ropes, one in each quarter of that man's cot, and they lowered him down in front of Jesus. And when that happened, they were saying, he needs your help. Oh, they didn't say it verbally, but they were saying it by their actions. Come on, folks. There are times we need to put our faith in action, put legs to our demands, and let God do something innocent through us. Why are we going to Frenchtown night, Sunday night? Saturday night, pardon me, maybe Sunday night too, who knows. Saturday night, it's because we're putting legs to our faith. I'm not going to just sit here on Sunday and Wednesday and tell you we need to do something to reach the world. We're going to do something to reach the world. We're going to do something to intervene in this culture, and this society. We're going to do something so that the violence and the killings and the stabbings are stemmed by the power of a living God. You say, well, that scares the bejesus out of me. Well, good for you. Because if you can do it by yourself, you don't need him, do you? It's time to recognize when we begin to ask in a position of dependency. He comes to our aid and comes to our rescue. Mark chapter 5, verse 28. There's a little lady that heard all about Jesus. And she said, you can read the story. She spent all of her money with doctors and it was no better. But when you read it in chapter five, you'll see these says, she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I'll be made well. What was she doing? She was putting legs to her faith. See, she didn't just stand behind the crowd because when you read the context, there was a huge crowd surrounding him. There were people all around. She couldn't get through, but she said, I'm not gonna be denied. If I can just touch his clothes, I'm gonna be made well. Oh, are you that desperate for a touch from the king? Have you put yourself in the position where nothing else matters other than touching him? And read the next verse. It says, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Why? Because she said, if I can but touch his clothes, I know I'm going to be made whole. You see, when we ask, it activates the promise of God over our lives. When we ask, it causes God to move in our behalf. When we ask, He begins to come into our realm and prove to us again that He is more than able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even begin to think according to the power at work in you and me. When we ask, we trigger a response from God. See, God can't escape His faithfulness. If He promised it, He's going to do it. If He's spoken, it's going to come to pass. God will always be faithful to His promise in and over your life. Now, the Israelites begin to ask. Their cries ascended unto God is what it tells us from Exodus chapter 2. And when their cries ascended unto God, God activated that promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembered His covenant. I love that word covenant. I love it. It means a guarantee. It means it will never pass away. It means it's signed and sealed and delivered, and it doesn't matter what's happening out here, the promise is still true over your life. When we read that scripture, we realize that the promise was only fulfilled in one place. The covenant promise wasn't fulfilled in Egypt. It was fulfilled in the promised land. That's where God wanted them to be, in the land that he had given to them, the land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not 400 years in Egypt. We talked about this briefly last week, but let me bring it up again. Sometimes we find a place of refuge, and that's where we build our residence. Egypt was not to be a residence, it was a place of refuge. It was a place of respite from famine. It was a place of provision for a moment. They were never to be there 400 years, but the only way to get them out of Egypt, the only way to make them remember the promise of God, was when pressure began coming against them. See, we make a place of refuge and then we get comfortable. Don't build a, a, a house in a place of refuge. Pitch a tent, because that's not where God has you staying. He's moving you on and moving you forward. This is just for a moment, then move into what God promised you. Very good preaching, whether you know it or not. The promises are only fulfilled in the promised land. It's amazing to me that in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, the writer says, many did not enter the promise because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. Is it any wonder that Jesus spent so much time with this issue and his disciples? What did he say to Peter prior to his crucifixion? I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. That your faith fail not. What did he say to Thomas? Touch my hands. Touch my side. Because it was an issue of faith of believing what God had promised. It's so critical that we understand God has given his word and we have the ability to stand upon it. God remembers. This is the way he said it in Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He, has he said and will he not do? Has he spoken and will he not make good? God remembers. God remembers. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you're waiting on God to do something for you. Can I ask? Have you called upon Him? Have you asked Him for His help? Or are you still looking at every other situation, every other person who really can't help you? See, the book of Exodus is the story of a redeeming God. A God, when His people ask, steps into the midst, steps into their presence, and brings them out of bondage to a place where they can worship Him. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you're waiting for that promise of a restored relationship to be enacted in your life. Maybe you're waiting for that promise of health and physical healing to be enacted in your life. Maybe you're waiting for that promise of peace and joy and happiness to be fulfilled in your life. Maybe you're waiting for that promise of financial plenty to be filled and completed in your life. Let me tell you, those aren't Christian fairy tales. It's the promise of God for you and I today. So when I read Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, I hear that God listens, and then I hear that God remembered. God remembered. What did He remember? He remembered His promise over their lives. So I've come to tell you this morning that when you lift your voice to the King of Kings, and when you begin to invoke the Word of God over your life, and you begin to ask God to come into your life and to come into your heart and help you in your situation, He remembers the promise over you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. The promise over you, He who hath began a good work in your life will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He remembers His promise over you. And I have sent my word and healed them. He remembers his promise over you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He remembers his promise over you. When you're weak, then I'm strong. He remembers his promise over you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this place this morning. The promises of God are waiting to be fulfilled in response to you, asking. you don't have to leave this place like you came this morning. You don't have to leave this place wondering, am I going to make it? Wondering, when I die, will I go to heaven? Wondering, can I ever be forgiven for the things that I've done? You can leave this place this morning free. Free to worship. Free to know Him. Free to live for Him. Free to serve Him. Free to be what God has created you to be. And free to walk into the promises he's already spoken over your life. You're in this room this morning his heads are bowed and eyes are closed and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I need him to forgive me and to cleanse me. I need him to do a deep work in my life to change me, to transform me. I want to know that God has spoken something over my life that I can hang my hat on and live my life by. I need Jesus to come into my heart. That's you. As I wait just a moment, that's you. The Spirit of God is talking to you already. He prepared this moment before you ever got up this morning. He prepared this moment for you to encounter Him and for your life to be changed. So right where you sit, you say, that's me, would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I want Him to forgive me. Yes, someone else. I want Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Someone else. I want Jesus to come into my life. Yes, hold your hand up for just, and let me see it. Anyone else, as i wait another moment. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anyone else, as i wait another moment. Yes. Everyone with your hand raised, stand right now. This is courage. This is faith. This is putting legs to our faith. If you raise your hand, stand with me. We're the only ones standing in this place. Amen. Come on. Rejoice in Him. Rejoice in Him. If you raise your hand, I want you to come right now. Meet me right down here. I'm going to pray with you. If you raise your hand, come. Step out to that aisle and come come right now. Yes. From the front, from the back, from every side. Come on. God wants to welcome you. Jesus wants to receive you. He's going to cleanse you. Praise God. If you need Jesus in your heart, come right now. Come on. Anyone else? Anyone else? Church, stand with me to your feet. Come on. Welcome them. We're going to pray a prayer this morning. The Bible says the angels rejoice when people come to the kingdom of God. The angels rejoice. We should be doing the same thing. Amen. Come on, there are still people coming. You need Jesus. Come on, we're going to wait for you. This is what it's all about. This is why we have church. So people can meet Christ. Anyone else? I'll give you another second. I'll wait another moment. I want you to miss your time to come to the family. Anyone else? All right, everyone standing here, look at me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing special about the prayer. But when you pray it in faith, God begins to forgive you and cleanse you. God begins to take away your sin and your uncertainty. He develops a relationship with you through Jesus, his son, and he changes your life forever when you pray this prayer. The Bible says when we believe in our heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's my first question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Do you believe that He came, that He lived a perfect life, that He died on the cross, and the third day He rose again from the dead? If we believe in our heart on the Lord Jesus Christ, the second part of that verse says, and confess with our mouth that He is Lord, we shall be saved. So, right now, I want you to pray with me, activated by faith and letting God touch your heart. Everybody in the room, pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I ask you to forgive me, I ask you to cleanse me, I ask you to come into my life, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior, by your power, change me today, transform me, cleanse me, wash away my sin, create in me a new heart, I ask it in Jesus' name. And now will you confess it? I believe you are my Lord and Savior. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for saving me. Oh, come on, everybody rejoice and give him praise and glory. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Those of you standing here, Pastor Clay is right over there. Wave at us, Pastor Clay. He's got some information for you, and we're going to get you right back in service. So if you'll turn, follow him. He'll bring you right back in in just a second. Follow him. Ushers, would you come this morning, please? Pastor Brittany, come and get ready. Ushers, would you come this morning, please? We're going to receive the elements of communion. Everyone is invited to partake communion with us as long as you are a born-again believer. When you know Christ as your Savior, then we come to the communion table knowing that He is the God who is more than sufficient to save us, to forgive us, to heal us, to do all that we need in our lives. So this morning, we're going to take communion, thanking Him for what He did for us at Calvary. So as you receive these elements, Pastor Brittany, come and sing it out. I ask her to sing this song because of the lyrics and the words. Sing it out with us this morning. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church, located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com.